I, I kind of wager that everyone here knows what Easter's about. I, I suspect that's probably the case. You may say, this is my first time ever being in church. If that's the case, we welcome you. Thank you for being here. We're excited that you're here. But I'm going to bet that, that if you're raised in the Bible Belt, which this little swath of the United States of America is called the Bible Belt, even if it's your first time being in church, you probably know what Easter is about. Now, many of you may have heard about that little six-year-old who was in Sunday school class on, on Easter morning, and his teacher wanted to really make sure that the class knew what Easter was about, what the resurrection was about, what the tomb was about, what Jesus was about. So she asked anyone, said, hey, does anybody know what happened on this day, the Sunday following when Jesus was crucified? And one eager little guy raised his hand and, oh, 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 I know, I know, I know. And so she calls on him, says, Johnny, what is it? said, Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. That on the third day, he came alive. And he stepped out of that tomb. And if he saw his shadow, we had six more weeks of winter. Uh, so. Not everyone totally gets it, but he, he, he will. He, he'll get it. Jesus is not to be confused with Puxatani Phil or, or Groundhog's Day. Jesus stepped out of that tomb alive and well. Now, the what of Easter, there's lots of things that we could cover in the what of Easter, but, but what is the details? Just real quickly, I'll talk about Passion Week or... or Passion's an odd word. I don't know if it is odd to you. you. You see things like the Passion of Christ or it's Passion Week. And passion's just a word we kind of use differently. They're so passionate about their sport. They're so passionate about their job. They're so passionate about their love for each other. So we think Passion Week. Why is it called Passion Week? Well, in, in, um, in Latin, the word that's translated passion means to endure or to suffer. So in Christianity, when we talk about Jesus, it's the week of suffering. And the week of suffering, Jesus was turned over to evil men and was falsely accused, uh, was going to be killed on a Roman cross, which was the most horrific form of death that had been devised at the time. It's interesting because in the Old Testament, there's a prophecy about Jesus being crucified, that they pierced his hands and his feet. And it describes crucifixion. It's kind of interesting. And what I think is so cool about God is that word was given about Jesus being crucified as his manner of death before crucifixion had ever been created. Isn't that interesting? The Jewish people, by the way, didn't crucify. It was for that prophecy to become true, it had to become a Roman death because the Jews would have stoned to death Jesus, but they made his... his accusation that he was going to rise up against Rome and therefore he was an insurrectionist and therefore Rome could kill him on a cross. And so he's put on a cross on a Friday. By the way, people argue about which day. It doesn't matter to me too much unless I was just doing an in-depth study on that particular topic. What matters to me is that he went to that cross. And historically, we talk about him being crucified on a Friday then they place his dead, murdered body in a borrowed tomb. That kind of gives a little hint about what's going to happen. Uh, he didn't waste any money purchasing one because he wasn't going to need it long. And uh, he's placed in a borrowed tomb. 
And then we have Saturday, Saturday, the day of darkness, the day of silence, the day of grief, the day of mourning. All looks lost. But then we have Sunday morning where he rises from the dead. There's a great old sermon, if you ever get a chance to hear it. It's called Friday's Here, but Sunday's Coming. And it's a wonderful, wonderful message. that will just get you excited about the resurrection of Jesus. He is risen. So we, we know the what about Easter. We know the what about the resurrection. But when you ponder the what, you start wondering, well, what, what's the why? Why the resurrection? Why the resurrection? The what is important, but it's also time for us to pause and sometimes ask ourselves, why the resurrection? Well, it could probably be a 10-part sermon series, and I'm kind of suspicious that none of you want me to preach a 10-part sermon series this morning. Yeah, there's, there's always three people, you know. There's always three, you know. The rest of the crowd is going, don't listen to them, you know. Uh, but uh, anyway... I'm going to talk about three things, why the resurrection. One of them that, to me, is one of the most critical is the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he is. We, we, we mentioned last week a, an atheist named Josh McDowell had decided he was going to crush this whole idea of Christianity. And so this happens a lot. When an atheist will actually say, I want to do a very studious, in-depth topic, and I'm going to prove through research and evidence that Jesus is not legit, the resurrection is not legit, and Christianity is not legit, if they do an in-depth study, I mean, nine out of ten times, they end up just like Josh McDowell, starting out as a staunch atheist on this end, and after the resurrection, they become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Because, and then he wrote a beautiful book called More Than a Carpenter. Then he wrote a wonderful book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And in that, we mentioned last week, there's 61 major prophecies that have to be fulfilled for this Messiah, this Savior, this Christ. And 58 of them is not enough. It takes all 61. But some of the prophecies could be self-fulfilling. I mean, if I was reading and, and read a prophecy that, that the Messiah was going to preach in Capernaum. Well, I could read that, go to Capernaum and preach and say, hey, everyone, I must be the Messiah because I fulfilled that scripture. But many of them, are, you can't self-fulfill. And Josh McDowell does the study on If you just took eight of those particular prophecies that you can't just make happen on your own, eight of those specific prophecies, the chance of one person fulfilling just eight, not 61, not even 40, but just eight of them, is one to the one to the 17th power. So if you wrote it out on paper, you'd say the chances of one person fulfilling just eight is one to the, then put the, the number one and put 17 zeros after it, and that's the chance of just fulfilling eight. By the law of probability and statistics, that is implausible and impossible. It, it, na there's no way in nature that can happen, but that's why God's above nature. That's why he's beyond you know, just the natural elements. And Jesus fulfilled all 61 of them. And there's so much detail and so much evidence to the resurrection. This one scientist, he's an MD, a PhD, a scientist, a, a professor of genome at Washington uh, University. Um, he's got an interesting name. His name's S. Joshua Swamidis. Swamidis. He's a scientist. He wrote a little article I thought was kind of interesting. I read this past week. He said, here's nine reasons why I believe Jesus rose from the dead. He said, even though I'm a scientist and I believe in science and I believe all of this and I'm very analytical, I have looked at the evidence and I have determined that Jesus is worth celebrating as the resurrected Savior every Easter, and that's what he does. 
He says, you'll hear people talk like that no thinking person believes in Jesus or the resurrection, but he says that's because they won't tell you the truth. He said there's all kinds of people, even historically, Blaise Pascal and Johann Kepler and, and Asa Gray and, and, my goodness, I forget, uh, Michael Faraday. I mean, listen, there's thousands of scientists and people who believe in the resurrection. And he said, I, the evidence is there. And he actually shares his faith all over the world. It's, he's, it's, <laughs> let me say this. The older you get, it's funny how much younger people are. You know, I want to say this young man, he's probably 45, so it's a young guy. Now, if you're 12 here, 45, as you just don't know how much life you got left in you, but uh, he goes around and tells people about Jesus because there's so much evidence for the resurrection. And the resurrection sets him apart and says, he is real. He is the Savior. He qualifies. He meets all the criteria. And he's such a loving Savior as well. One of the second things that I believe the why the resurrection is because it gives us the joy and the hope of eternity. What a sad world it is to believe there's no hope. There's no joy past today. You know, I, you're like me. You got a lot of loved ones who have gone on to be with Jesus. And I love the joy and hope of knowing I will see them again. We will fellowship again. There is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And just produces joy and hope. A guy in Venezuela, Carlos Camello. Carlos Camello was in a horrible accident and was pronounced dead at the scene. And so he was taken to the hospital, confirmed to be dead. He was sent to the morgue. His wife was notified, you know, come identify the body. And so they start a routine autopsy on Carlos. And when they began the autopsy, they knew something was, was crazy wrong Something wrong was going on. Something was amiss because when they began the autopsy and they took that scalpel and began to cut, Carlos began to bleed. Now, I don't know if you know this, but dead people don't bleed. And so they were shocked, so they start sewing him up real fast because they're cutting on him. And all of a sudden, Carlos bounced to life. And he said he, it, it jarred him awake because of the excruciating pain, I guess when you're alive and somebody starts an autopsy on you, that's pretty painful. But it didn't only jar him, it jarred his wife, who came to identify his dead body on the slab in the morgue, and when she shows up, he's sitting out in the hallway, and oh, what joy, oh, what hope there was, because that which they thought was dead was not dead, but was alive, and the resurrection gives us the hope and the joy of eternal life. What an amazing thing. One of my favorites, and some reasons why the resurrection, is because the resurrection, the resurrection lets us know something. It lets us know that anything is possible. Anything is possible. Now, I want to read these scriptures to you in 1 Corinthians 15 because the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection are many. And Paul, who was, by the way, a Christian hater who wanted to stamp out Christianity, and he's doing everything he can to do so, approving of the death and imprisonment of Christians, and he wants to stamp it out. But he encounters the resurrected Jesus. Now, that'll change your life. And so all of a sudden, he goes from Christian hater to a 
Christian apostle who becomes a church planner all over the known world. And people are telling others, there is no resurrection. Once you're dead, you're dead. Once you're done, you're done. I mean, you can go ahead and serve God. That's wonderful. It'll be okay. But after you die, you're dead and all is over. And so Paul begins to write here in 1 Corinthians 15, 18 through 22, arguing that point that there is no resurrection. He says in verse 18, in that case, if there's no resurrection, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, don't miss that little phrase, but in fact, fact, factually speaking, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now you you say, how can he speak so positively and so emphatically? Because I already told you, he met the resurrected Christ. It's hard to talk somebody out of believing in a risen Savior when he met him. He said, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that's Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because they belong to Adam. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. We all have this death working in us because of sin. And so death is our end game because of sin. But the end game's been changed. It says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ. Now, I don't want you to miss that because there's so much talk, and always has been. This is nothing new. You'll see it in reading the New Testament, that there's lots of ways to get to heaven. There's lots of ways. All of them are valid. They're all legitimate. But that's, the Bible never teaches that. The Bible teaches over and over and over. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Those who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. Those who believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord shall be saved. And here it says, all those who have Christ, everyone who belongs to Christ, will be given new life. New life. I just want to tell you, don't try to wiggle around Jesus, because first of all, there is no wiggle around. But second of all, it'll be your loss because Jesus is awesome. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. I heard Darlene tell somebody one time, and she tells people this with some regularity. It's very simple. She says, Jesus has been good to me. It's been a wonderful life. She came to know the Lord at the old age of 13. I came to know the Lord at about five or six, so I got about eight years of spiritual maturity on her. So, uh, But he's been good. He's good. Why would you want to circumvent someone who's so awesome? But I want to reemphasize the third thing. The resurrection shows that anything is possible. Anything is possible. When you look at the resurrection, as I often mention when we talk about the resurrection, every power cell in the universe was trying to keep Jesus in the grave. The most powerful religious system in the world wanted to keep Jesus in the grave. The Pharisees and religious leaders say, we cannot let his body disappear because he said crazy stuff like, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it back again. And there's rumors that he said he was going to rise from the dead, so we need to guard this tomb. And Rome said, we're not going to be made a mockery of. We'll make sure that tomb's secured. So they put a huge stone over the door. They sealed it with a Roman seal to know if it was broken into or not. There's only one way in and one way out. 
they post the guards by it. The most powerful government, the most powerful military force on planet Earth was guarding the tomb to make sure Jesus stayed in that tomb. Now, what do you think about this? There's another spiritual force, the devil, and his demonic horde. You think they wanted to keep Jesus in the tomb? You better believe they did. They wanted to keep Jesus in the tomb. But the most powerful religious system on the planet, the most powerful government and military might on the planet, and the, not the most powerful, but another spiritual dominion that was out there, could not keep Jesus in the tomb. He is risen. He is risen. It's the crux of our faith, the resurrection. Paul says another point, hey, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then let's just go home. Let's call it off. Let's not get up early on Sunday morning. Let's go out to Cracker Barrel or something. I don't know, but, you know, why come to church? But he is risen. So three vital realities, and again, there's probably a hundred. But why the resurrection? Because you and I need a savior. We couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. Our best efforts, our, 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 our release of energy, everything we did to try to save ourselves just couldn't do it. We couldn't save ourselves. We were broken and couldn't fix ourselves. And, and not to make fun of this, but we've all seen this. I'm not making fun of it. But you've seen the Lifeline commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. That's what happened to us. We were fallen and we couldn't get up. We couldn't get up. And our Lifeline button is Jesus. And I did hear one comedian say, that always troubles me because I always wonder, why doesn't the cameraman help her? And I thought, well, it is a good point. So anyway, we had fallen and couldn't get up, but Jesus was our lifeline and our only one. We need the hope and the joy of eternal life. I'm telling you, it is a joy and it is a pleasure to put my head on the pillow at night knowing I'm right with the Savior of the world. And should I not wake up on planet Earth the next morning, I will wake up in his presence. There's a peace and a comfort to that. I don't have to go to bed biting my nails, wondering. I don't have a salvation that comes by works either. Did I do enough? Did I, did, I, did I make it happen today? Hey, I want to do everything I can for the Lord. I'm not dismissing that. I just want to say this. If, if I trust in myself, I'm doomed. The, the scripture clearly teaches that. That it is not by works, so no one can brag or boast. It is a gift from God. And I just encourage you to receive that gift. And we need to know that anything is possible. What do you need from the Lord? I want you to hear this. Anything is possible. Is your marriage broken and need help? Anything's possible. Is your body broken and you need a touch from the Lord? Anything is possible. Are you spiritually drained and you need some new life breathed into you? Anything is possible. Are you mentally or emotionally struggling? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Are you down and out in your resources and finances and you think, I just don't see any way out? I want you to know this. Anything is possible. If death could not hold on to our Savior, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I... Amen. And I dare you and me. I'm talking to me too. By the way, every time I'm up here preaching, I'm preaching to me too. I dare us. Let's dare believe anything is possible. 
I, I bet you have a family or friend who just seems like they're never going to come to know Jesus as their Savior. And you just are thinking, it's, it, it's impossible. No, anything is possible. That prodigal son, that prodigal daughter, anything's possible. Some of you sitting in this room, in fact, I'm just curious, and if you would help, and there's nothing to be ashamed of, were you at one time a prodigal who had run away from the faith? Hold your hand up high. Look around the room. Anything's possible. Anything is possible. You got those loved ones. I just looked around. Brought me joy to see all of you who said, I had wandered far away, but I came back. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. About every Easter I mention this guy, probably will continue to do so. His name is Sir Lionel Luku. First of all, I just like saying his name. <laughs> Sir Lionel Luku. I mean, what a cool name, Sir Lionel Luku. Yes, he's a real person. He's not a character on Tom Slick. He's a real person, Sir Lionel Luku. Sir Lionel Luku was twice knighted by the Queen of England. I mean, it's a pretty big deal to be knighted once, but to be twice knighted is, is fairly rare. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records. I think 1990 was when he was inducted. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records, and I, I looked it up because I wanted to give him his real title. His true title in the Guinness Book of World Records is the world's most successful lawyer. He got that title for winning 245 court cases in a row. Now, not plea deals, going to court, fighting for your client. He won 245 of them in a row. I don't even know if the average lawyer will win 245 court cases in a lifetime. He won 245 in a row, and he got marked as the world's most successful lawyer. Obviously, he has an analytical mind. Obviously, he knows how to look at the facts. Obviously, he knows how to smoke out evidence. Obviously, he knows all those things. You don't win 245 cases in a row because you're just, well, okay. You're incredible. Well, he was challenged with something in his 60s. He was 60, in his 60s when somebody came to him with the challenge, would you look over the evidence for the resurrection and use the same rigorous efforts you would use for a court case? Look over the evidence. Decide if it's worthy or unworthy. Check it out. Sir Lionel Luku spent two years doing this. At the end of two years, here's what he determined. He says this. I say unequivocally that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Wow. Pretty impressive. What's more impressive to me is not just that statement, although I love the statement, but after he determined that Jesus had really risen from the dead, that Jesus was who he said he was, do you know what he did? He gave his life to Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus, spent the rest of his life, he died at like 82, he spent the rest of his life going around the world telling people, Jesus has risen from the dead. That Jesus is who he said he is. That Jesus is the savior of the world. He spent the rest of his life doing that. And I think that's the only logical response. I, I find it illogical and irrational that we could be here today. Now, it's one thing if you say, I don't buy into it, I don't believe any of it. Okay, but if you're here today, 
and you're saying, you know what, I do believe. I believe Jesus is who he said he is. I believe Jesus did rise from the dead. I believe salvation and eternal life is found in no one else but him. I believe all of that. But Tracy, I'm just going to have to tell you, I'm going to have to pass today. I say, what? I'm going to have to pass. Now, why would you pass if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Why would you do that? Well, I mean, I, you know, someday when I'm 105, on my deathbed, I might give my life to Jesus. What happens is, is that we bought into the lie that serving Jesus and knowing Jesus would be a substandard way to do life. So we're saying, I mean, I, I don't mind coming to Jesus someday, but right now I want to, and you can fill in the blank, I want to party, I want a club, I want to be immoral, I want to, I want to work, I want to get toys, I want to amass money, I want to, whatever it is you have in your mind, you're thinking, I can't have Jesus and do all that. And so that would be more valuable. But I'll let you know kind of my little paraphrase. In John 10.10, Jesus, now, now here's something. When a guy tells you, I'm going to die, and three days from now, I'm going to rise from the dead, and he actually does it, you should pay attention to what he says. You should really listen to what he says. That guy, I believe, is a truth teller. And he said, this is my paraphrase of saying it, he says, hey guys, just want you to know this. The devil, the world, sin, all the passions you have, if they're sinful, I can promise you this, Jesus says, in some way or fashion, they will kill, steal, and destroy your life. They will make life less, not more. It will slowly deteriorate and slowly decline as you follow that path. He said, it's the devil's goal. The devil's goal is to steal from you, to kill from you, and to destroy you. But then Jesus says this, but I have a purpose. And he said, this is one of the purposes for which I came, that you might have and enjoy a rich and satisfying life. John 10, 10. I think Jesus is a truth teller. And you may say, well, Tracy, I've done some wild things and had a lot of fun doing it. You probably did. I'm not denying that. The Bible teaches this. Sin is pleasurable or fun for a season, for a moment. Had a buddy that decided to walk away from his walk with God. He lived wild for five years. In fact, he tells me that the wild people didn't even want to hang out with him. And he really had a lot of fun. But then he came back to the Lord. And he said, my goodness, the damage and the wreckage that's in my wake in life is pretty staggering. If I could wave a magic wand, I would take all that back. Now, there was no telling him that at the time, but he, he is passionately in love with Jesus and goes after God and has for many years, but, but he did not escape that unscathed. I often wish we would bring up a guest speaker someday who doesn't say this, I lived like the devil for 20 years, but I gave my life to Jesus and all is well. I wish we'd bring up a guest speaker one time that said, I went down a path of sin, and I've been down that path for 20 years, and I just can't seem to get free. The fun I thought I was going to have didn't turn into fun. It turned into addiction. It turned into pain. It turned into heartache. It turned into brokenness, and I'm still struggling with that brokenness. Because sometimes I think, we think, well, look at that person. They, 
you know, 20 years living for the flesh and sin, and they had a great time, and they came back to God. But if they'll tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, they'll tell you they did not come out unscathed. But Jesus says, I'd like for you to have an unscathed life. Jesus says, I'm more concerned about you having a great life than I am about you having a fun weekend. I'm more excited about you having a great life. So he says in John 10, 10, for this purpose I came, that you might have life, and that more abundantly, that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure, that you might have life overflowing, that you might have a satisfying and rich life. Those are all different ways translations translate Jesus' words. So what should we do? Our response, which I think is very un-American, I just want you to know that, heads up, very un-American what I'm about to tell you. But I'm going to let you know another little secret. Christianity's not American. So, let's look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He, Jesus, died for how many people? Yeah, everyone. He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life... See, there it is again. You never get into a scripture that says, just try to do good, be sincere about whatever you believe. All religions are fine. It doesn't matter. They're all equally valid. Now, if I came up to you today and said, I am the Savior of the world, but I'm not the only one, but I'm one of many, you might say, okay. You know, hopefully you wouldn't say okay, but we'll put him in with everybody else. But Jesus, according to Scripture, is the creator of the universe. He's not just a human being who said, I have, you know, risen to a form of godness. He's the creator of the universe. He is God. And he wrapped himself in a human body and lived a sinless life and died for us and rose again. And so, as the creator of the universe, he has the right to say, as he did say, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes unto the Father or heaven but by me. He gets the privilege of saying that as the one and only creator of the universe. So he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive new life, his new life, will no longer live for whom? For themselves. Is that not awful or what? Oh my goodness. This is what makes us so un-American. Because me, you, and all of us is actually not an American. What makes this so unnatural and unhuman is every human naturally says this, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, where I want to do it. And I don't want anyone to tell me different. Just celebrate it. But here, God says that we're to no longer live for ourselves. Instead, the alternative is, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Hmm. Who died and was raised for them. Now you may say, so I, I can't have fun? I, I can't, I mean, I, I wanted to go to school and get a degree and get a job and, and you know, I wanted to have some you know, toys to play, a boat or a you know, snowmobile or whatever it is. Now I, I do want to say this. God has no problem with you having a rich and satisfying life. I just I want to make sure you understand this. All those things are okay when they're secondary to Jesus. But they're horrible gods. And so we're to seek first, not seek only. 
We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. And so good parents, and most of us don't do it well, but good parents say, I don't mind my children being blessed, but I don't want them being spoiled. And there's something that irks a parent when they start sensing that their child feels that they're entitled. You know, I, the only thing that matters to me is stuff and life and everything, but not you. Well, Jesus should be Lord of our lives, and everything falls in place after him. So when we say we believe Jesus has risen from the dead, our only proper response is this, to honestly yield our lives to Jesus. That's our only proper response. It's like Sir Lionel Luku. There, I get to say it one more time. Sir Lionel Luku. He said, hey, I'm going to give my life to the one that the evidence has proven to me that he's risen from the dead. And we step into, I started using this phrase probably 25 years ago because I was wearied and saddened by the fact of how many people believed they were Christians who had no evidence whatsoever that Jesus was anything in their lives except this. One day on a survey somewhere, they were to check what religion they were. And so they looked on it and they said, hmm, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not an atheist, bless God, I'm an American, so I can't be an atheist. And so he looked down there and he said, ah, I'm a Christian. And they checked it there. Knowing Jesus is more than checking Christianity on a survey, it's giving our lives to him. Now, when you do that, have you arrived? Is everything perfect? Have you worked it all out? No. But what happens is the direction of your life changes. And slowly but surely, your life begins to be transformed as you yield your life to him. So we step into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And that's our heart, and that's our only proper response that Jesus has risen from the dead, that we yield our lives to him.